Today we're focusing on the people in heaven. Today we're going to talk about what it is in heaven they are trying to say to you and I. Last week I gave you the analogy of if you had a thousand free tickets to the Magic Kingdom, and that ticket enabled you to have free food, free travel, Epcot, Disney World, MGM, Universal, SeaWorld, everything. If you had a thousand tickets, you wouldn't just hold on to those for just you and your four or five members of your intimate family. You would be calling up family members from all over the place. You'd be calling your friends. You'd be getting on Facebook. i got to tell you about this. i got a free ticket. How come we don't do that with the place of heaven? When we, have, when we know how to get there, we know the, 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 free, the freeness of being able to get there. We know that it's not going to cause us a thing just believing in Jesus and going for it. How come we don't tell people about it more often? Here's why. Because we're very earthly minded. We're very um, self-centered and focused on what we're going through today and what we're going through this week and what we have to get over and the bills we have to pay. And I believe if you will allow this series to get deep on the inside of your spirit, man, I believe that it will cause that earthly minded nature to, to disintegrate each and every day more and more and more until you're focused on all of eternity and it makes our problems on earth very, very small. We need to be more heaven-minded. We need to be more focused on all of eternity. Um, Matthew 8.11 is where we're going to start. We're going to get to Hebrews 11 in a second. But Matthew 8.11 says, I assure you that many will come from everywhere to sit and enjoy the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Talking about people in heaven, you will get to meet people who lived on earth and were believers for all of eternity. You'll get to hang out with George Washington. You'll get to hang out with um, Fanny Crosby. You'll get to hang out with Horatio Spafford. You'll get to hang out with David Livingston who traveled as a missionary to Africa. You'll get to hang out with um, Michael Jackson. I don't know. But either way, Bob Marley is not a question mark over Bob Marley. <laughs> you can hang out with Abraham Lincoln. You can hang out with all these people. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You get to ask Abraham, what was it like when you were going to sacrifice your son? Was your heart racing? Did you know that Jesus was going to not allow him to die? What were you thinking? We'll get to talk to these people and ask them questions. Find out what's up. What was their life like? I want you to think about today. Um, it was, let's say it's Christmas, about a month ago. And around Christmas time, we get invited to parties. And there's so many parties. We have um, you know, friend parties and work parties and church parties. I want you to imagine yourself on a Saturday. You're leaving one party and you're going to another party. The only reason you're going to the second party is because you were invited by somebody who you respect very much. And so you very begrudgingly drive to this place. And when you pull up, you can't believe your eyes, but it's a huge brick mansion outside. Tons of cars. You can't wait to see who all is at this party. Whenever you get out of your car, you can automatically smell the barbecue on the grill coming from the backyard. You can hear music playing, people laughing. The closer you get to the backyard, there's this huge privacy fence. And you get closer and closer. Finally, you start to open up the door. And when you do, you can't imagine how big this backyard is. It's filled with picnic tables, people all over the place. I mean, there's music playing, people dancing, food everywhere. And you start to look around, and somehow, someway, you notice that you know a lot of the people at this party. In fact, you somehow know every single one of them. You look way over this picnic bench and you see one of your friends you had in second grade, 30, 40 years ago. You look over this picnic bench and you see your youth pastor from the church you attended when you were in high school. You look way over here and you somehow notice that that is your great, 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 great grandfather. And then as you're standing there, getting ready to enjoy this feast, hang out with these people, you look behind you, and the gate that you just came through, you see that one of your children is coming through that gate. 
And then you look again and you see another child coming through the gate. Then you see one of your friends that you had 15 years ago coming through the gate. And all of a sudden you realize the party that you were at earlier was not the real party. No, no, no. This, this is the real party. I'm going to prove to you something very, very special. Last week we talked about, will you know everything in heaven? You won't know everything. You'll be more eager to learn. But one thing we will know in heaven, we will know who people are. Somehow, someway, through the Holy Spirit, we will know who this person is. We won't know everything about them or what they went through, but we will know who they are. It says in Luke 9, 29 through 34, and the same scriptures in Matthew 17, 1 through 5, it says that Jesus took Peter, James, and John up the mountain. This is the mountain of transfiguration. When Jesus was praying, the appearance of his countenance became altered and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, the three disciples saw Moses, Elijah, in heavenly glory talking about Jesus' exodus, how he was going to leave earth, ascend into heaven. And then there's a scripture. I left them here intentionally. Get ready. It says, there came a cloud and overshadowed them. You have to remember that, okay? I need you to use your minds for me today and remember that, that scripture. There came a cloud and overshadowed them. Remember that. In five minutes, you're going to need to know that. What I want to show you from this scripture is very, very interesting. Um, let me just kind of think about what, in my mind, here's what happened. God knew that Jesus was about to go to the cross, die, and then rise again a few days later, and then ascend into heaven. And so he wanted to go strengthen his son. And I can picture God wanting to do this from heaven. And all of a sudden, I see Elijah and Moses in the background saying, Oh, 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 take me. Please, God, God, please take me. Take me. Remember, I held the staff up, the Red Sea. Elijah says, Remember, I stayed by the brook for three years. I fought. Remember the prophet? And God says, Okay, come on, come on, come on. So he gets Elijah, he gets Moses, and he takes them to this Mount of Transfiguration. And they show up in their heavenly bodies. Here's what is incredibly cool. This is the coolest thing. They were in their heavenly bodies. The three disciples knew who Moses and Elijah were. There was no picture of them. There was no Facebook. There was no um, drawings. Somehow, even though they were in their heavenly bodies, the disciples knew that that was Moses and Elijah. You will know people in heaven. And here's another cool thing I want to show you. Moses and Elijah knew that Jesus was about to make his exodus. They knew what was going on in the life of Jesus. In other words, people from heaven, just like I showed you last week, they see what's going on down here. They can see. They know what's taking place. So the big question today is, what are people in heaven saying to us now? What are they trying to tell us? Back in 2012, my mom's dad, my papa, he was in the hospital in Florence. And I went to visit him. And I'll never forget having this conversation with him. He told me that he knew he was about to die. He told me that he knew that um, he wasn't going to make it out of the hospital this time. And so I gave him a big hug. And we cried. And I told him what a good papa he had been all my life. I got to enjoy my, my mom's dad for 33 years. I was 33 years old. I'll never forget giving him a hug. And I whispered in his ear. And it might have sounded selfish. But I said, when you get to heaven, put in a really good word for me. And he said he would. So what is my papa trying to tell me today? If there was just one phrase, your loved ones, your relatives, there's one thing they could say to you. And I'm going to show you a little bit. They only have time to say one or two things to you. That's it. Because time in heaven is not like time here. Time here we judge it by um, um, you know, 24 hours in a day, the sun rotating, the earth. We judge our life by the fact that we all think we're going to live till we're 90 years old. So that's how we kind of perceive time on the inside. Heavenly time is not like that. 
In fact, by the time they get to the throne of God, they discover love and they just receive this, uh, everywhere you look, there's joy, mercy, peace. By the time they actually go through that, by then you're already in heaven with them. So then we have time to shout one phrase, and I'm going to show you a little bit. So here's what we're going to look at. He Hebrews chapter 11. Everybody get your eyes. Hebrews 11, you're going to want to mark this up for the next 20 minutes. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is called the Hall of Faith. Like the Hall of Fame. All through Hebrews 11, there's one scripture per person of the great saints of old and what they went through and something that kind of shows the, 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 the situation they had on earth and, 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 and what area they believed in and things like that. Now, listen, theologians, uh, when they originally wrote the Bible, there was no punctuation, there was no commas or anything like that. Years later, theologians had to decide where the commas go, where the chapter ends, where the chapter begins, where the verse and verse begins. Now we realize that Hebrews 12 verse 1 is supposed to be at the end of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says this. It says, therefore then, in other words, because of what we just read in this previous chapter, therefore then, since we are surrounded, here's what I need you to remember about the cloud, by a great cloud of witnesses. When it talks about people from heaven coming to earth or seeing what's going on, it has that cloud there. Great cloud of witnesses, let us strip off every unnecessary weight and run with determination the appointed course that is set before us. One translation says this, do you realize that all these veterans are cheering us on? Get on with it, start running, and never quit. Here's what it's telling us here. Our life is like an appointed race. It's an individual race we all have. And it paints this picture of us around this racetrack with this huge stadium surrounding us. In this huge stadium are all the great saints of all, your relatives, friends that made it into heaven, and they're all cheering us on. Here's the point I'm trying to make. We're not running alone. You are not running your race alone. Don't ever think that you're in this by yourself. Don't ever think that you are all alone. They see what's going on from heaven, and they are not against you. They're not your critics. They are 100% for you. I want you to picture this huge grandstand up in heaven and all of a sudden an elderly man with a staff stands to his feet. When he does, there's a hush among the crowd. He said, if there's anything I'm trying to tell you from heaven today, it is heed the warnings of God. My name is Noah. I know what it's like when God asks you to do something that sounds crazy. I know what it's like when all your friends are making fun of you. I know what it's like to think you heard the voice of God and you're not sure. Trust me, always go with the voice. God asked me to do something I thought was impossible. I had no idea how I was going to be able to build this thing called an ark. It had never rained before. Everyone around me, my neighbors, they all laughed at me. They would point their fingers day after day. But I did what God told me to do and obeyed in spite of everything coming against me. Now Hebrews 11.7 says, By faith I heard God's warnings and I obeyed. If there's anything I'm telling you to do today is listen to the voice of God and obey. I picture this elderly woman standing up above the crowd. She said, have you ever been given a promise by God that seemed impossible? I know exactly what that's like. My name is Sarah. God told me that I was going to have a child one day, but I was well past the childbirthing years. It seemed like the older I got, the more discouraged I should get. In fact, one time I laughed. I laughed out loud at what God said to me. An angel showed up. It was crazy. By faith, it says in Hebrews 11, 11, I received physical power to have a child even when I was long past the age because I knew God was true to His Word. I am standing up in heaven 
cheering you on, saying, never, ever, ever give up hope. I picture a young, a young guy standing above the crowd. He's kind of handsome, very strong. His name's not John Paul. No, his name is Joseph. In Hebrews 11, 22, it mentions him as a hero of faith. He says, have you ever had your entire family come against you? Do you live in a family that is full of dysfunction? I know exactly what that's like. My own siblings tried to kill me. God gave me this dream that I would be put in a position of leadership in charge of much. And my own brothers threw me in a pit and ended up trying to sell me as a slave. As a slave, I did my best to honor God, but then someone accused me of a crime I didn't commit and I got thrown in jail. Now I'm in jail. What am I going to do? I'm doing the right thing and everything wrong is coming against me. But I'm here to tell you today, I never stopped being faithful in the small areas. Even when I was in a prison cell, I used my gift of organization. They, they, they put me in charge of the other prisoners as a prisoner myself. Then people started having dreams. And I thought, you know what? I can interpret the dreams. God gave me that gift. But why should I? Nothing good's ever happened to me. I did it anyway. One dream after the other. Do you know that one day Pharaoh, the man in charge of the entire country of Egypt, had a dream that no one could interpret? And word got back to the palace that there was a guy in the prison who could interpret dreams. It was me. If there's anything I want to tell you today, it's from the end of my story in Genesis 50, 20, that says, where the enemy meant for evil, God used it for my good. I interpreted Pharaoh's dream, and then one day, I went from the prison to the palace. My word to you is this, be faithful with the little, and God will trust you with much. My dad's dad, my grandfather, on my dad's side of the family, he was a huge giver. I'm sure like your relatives, he was not perfect, but I believe with all my heart he's in heaven. He loved the Lord and he loved to build the kingdom of God financially. If there's one phrase he has time to shout to me today, is John Paul, give your life away. Don't die a millionaire. Don't die with money left in the bank. Give, give, give. This is in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Now I know in part, but then I shall know and understand clearly, just as I have been clearly known by God. Here's what the scripture is saying. In heaven, they see the big picture. Now, I'm sure you have loved ones or friends that are in heaven. I want you to really understand what it is they're going through. They don't feel like you do. They don't see things like you do. They see the whole picture. So I'm going to give you two points of people having what's going on. Number one is this. Heaven does not care what you want. I'm so sorry. I know this might hurt your feelings. Heaven does not care what I want. Heaven sees the big picture and they care what God wants. You say, but John, while I'm going through this pain and I want this new car and I want this dream to go to bed, they don't care what you want. Heaven cares what God wants. Heaven is all about the kingdom of God. They see the whole thing. Let me give you an analogy for this. Um, you take your children to go get a flu shot. They say, no, I don't want a flu shot. It's going to hurt. I can't get it. They say, shut up. It's just a second. I see that you, this, the flu shots can help you not get the flu. I don't want it. I'd rather get the flu. No, no, no. We see the big picture. You're going to get the shot. It's going to hurt for a second. But in the long run, it makes sense because I see it. That's what it's like in heaven. They see you. You think, I'm going through this again when my work week has been so bad. People aren't treating me right. They're saying from heaven, stop. Run with determination. You're wasting time. Forgive quicker. Let go of the bitterness. Stop being angry. There's a kingdom I want you to build. Number two, heaven doesn't have time to miss you. They don't have time to miss you. There's not enough time for them to miss you. They would be wasting time in heaven if they missed you, and they're not going to waste time in heaven. They are too busy cheering you on to get on with your life, to fulfill the plan God has for you. James 4.14 says you don't know what the last thing about your life is. You're a
principle of vapor which appears and disappears. I'm going to give you two analogies for this point to help you understand time in heaven. Okay? The first analogy is exaggerated and it's wrong. But the first analogy is this. When we take our children to the nursery during this service, let's assume you only took your kids to the nursery one time in their entire life. One hour in the nursery compared to, let's say, living 85 years on earth. One hour in the nursery compared to 85 years on earth. You would say, that's not a big deal. It's just an hour. Good night. Maybe you're going to live to your 85 years old. Well, listen, billions and billions and billions of years in eternity compared to 85 years on earth is not even equivalent to that math equation. Let me give you a biblical Matt, let me give you a biblical way of seeing how quick it is your life on earth by the time you get to heaven to be with your relatives. Here it is. Watch me really close. Everybody see that? Biblically, the blink of an eye is the time it is of your life on earth compared to all of eternity in heaven. They don't have time to miss you. I don't know if you've ever felt insecure about the calling God's put on your life or not good enough or not talented enough, I know exactly how you feel. My name is Moses. I can picture Moses standing up in that grandstand in heaven, cheering you on, saying, listen, I murdered a guy with my bare hands. I didn't use a bow and arrow. I didn't use a sword. I got so upset, I strangled the life out of him. I was so disappointed. I felt so guilty. I ran into the desert thinking I could hide from God there. Do you know the place that I hid from God was the place where He actually spoke to me? He followed me to the desert. He spoke to me through this burning bush and told me He called me to deliver His people and on and on and on. And the more He talked, the scared, the more fearful I got. So I said, God, I, 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 I can't speak. I just stutter. And God said, I don't care. I, 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 I murdered a man. God said, I don't care. I, I, I'm, I'm afraid. God said, I don't care. Finally, I submitted my life to Him. And do you know, He knew exactly what He was talking about. It says in Hebrews 11, 27, By faith I left Egypt, taking all the Israelites with me across the Red Sea to dry land. Just when I thought I didn't have what it took, God used me, a man who doesn't speak well, to speak on behalf of Him and lead all of His people into freedom. Several years ago, there was a, a football team that um, I read, maybe it was 2008. They were the worst football team in history, had the worst record ever. And somehow they made it to the playoffs and they defeated the world champions and became world champions themselves. After the game was over, they interviewed all the players that won and here's where they all said the same thing. They said, we owe it all to the crowd that's cheering us on. By faith today, I want you to hear the crowd cheering as loud as they can. I want you to hear your relatives screaming things like, give more, do more, be more, love more, forgive quicker. I want you to hear them saying, serve God with all your heart. Stop letting little things come between you and those relationships. On and on, you've got to hear them screaming. Whatever it was God used them to do on earth, their passion. I picture this woman standing up in the crowd. And she said, listen, if anybody here is making mistakes, it's me. My name is Rahab and I'm a former prostitute. I did things that were so ungodly. I would never want anyone to know. But it's all I ever saw growing up. All of my people, my whole country was immoral. That's all I'd ever been around. I didn't think there was a way out. I felt trapped in this immorality. I had no idea how I was going to get out. I didn't see a way, but one day some spies from another country came into my land. They hid in my house and they told me about this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I dared to believe I hid them from my own people. And they spared my life. 
Hebrews 11.31 says, By faith, I was not destroyed along with those who refused to believe. And I'm here to tell you today, God Almighty, not only did He save my life, not only did He spare me, He had the audacity to put me, a former prostitute, in the lineage of His Son, Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell everybody today, no matter how big of a mistake you made, it is not too big for the mercy of God. Romans 8.18 says, I'm sure that we are suffering in this present life can't even compare with the glory that will be shown to us. I hate to think about this two guys hanging out in heaven. They say, listen, I know what it's like to want to complain. I know what it's like to be put in a bad place even though you're doing the right thing. Me and my friend Silas, man, we were preaching the good news, doing what Jesus wanted us to do, and we got thrown in jail. They began to beat us with lead whips over and over again. Our backs were bloodied and bruised, but we did not complain. I can't stand complainers. They're so self-centered. They're always negative. We know what it's like to want to complain, but we didn't. Here we are in the middle of the night in a jail cell for doing the right thing and preaching about Jesus, and Silas starts to sing a song. I thought, Silas, what are you doing? I didn't want to say it out loud. I didn't want to be negative, but our backs hurt so bad from the blood and the whips. And the louder Silas got, the more the prisoners started to boo. Now, I can't sing very well, but I started to pick up a harmony part. And together we sang, our chains are gone, we've been set free. At 11.59, just when I think that things couldn't get worse with all the booing and all the hissing, an earthquake came and shook that entire prison cell. The doors of our prison cell, nobody else, the doors of ours fell right off the hinges under the ground. I looked up and I saw an angel standing at the door. I said, Silas, it's time we get out of this place. The angel escorted us out of the prison. And today I'm telling everybody that feels like they have a right to complain, sing, sing, sing praise, and you will be raised. If you complain, you're going to remain. Hebrews 11.36 says that we were made fun of, we were beaten with whips and chained in jail, but that did not stop us from worshiping God. I picture this other guy to stand up in heaven. He's kind of goofy looking. He's got red hair and freckles. He says, if y'all think y'all have a right to complain, I know what it's like to want to complain. I battled cancer for eight years. When I got to heaven, there was this entourage waiting on me, but the first person that ran up to me was a man named Christopher Reeve. He whispered in my ear, I hear they called you Superman on earth as well. His name is John Ross. He knows what it's like to be picked, to be probed, to be in hospital after hospital after hospital battling one disease to the next disease. He says, I know what it's like to be in a coma and people think you're not going to come out and you come out and you're in church the next Sunday. Be in a coma again, people think you're not going to come out you come out and you're in church the next Sunday. I know what it's like to want to sit home and watch church on TV and not serve anybody else. I know what it's like to be on drug after drug after drug just to stay alive. But I not once was going to miss church for anything. I know what it's like to serve people when you want someone to serve you. I know what it's like to give when you want someone to give to you. I know what it's like to help others when you want somebody to help you. And I tell you, I don't regret not one single minute of my service on earth. If there's anything I'm telling you from heaven, it is don't let anything stop you from serving God. The last man to stand up, ready to cheer you on. He looks at the crowd. He points to Noah and says, Noah, you thought you were scared? Rahab, you thought you made mistakes? 
Moses, you thought you were insecure, John. You thought that cancer was bad. I got all of you beat. I was dead as a doornail. My name is Lazarus. I was dead. It was finished. The stone was in front. I'd been there for three days. I was already starting to stink. But my two sisters were so headstrong, they just would not give up. It says in Hebrews 11.35, Through faith my sisters received this dead relative back to life. I was in the grave. I was sleeping peacefully. And I heard this voice say, Lazarus, come forth. I opened up my eyes. I thought, where am I? When I yawned, you would have thought they had put horse manure in my mouth. I heard that voice again. It said, Lazarus, come forth. I stretched and I got up and I started to walk toward the front of the tomb. And one more time, Lazarus, come forth. Man, when I stepped into the sunlight, you should have seen the faces on those Pharisees that day. I ran around and high-fived every single one of them until I got to Jesus, my Lord. And I'm here to tell everybody in here today, God can resurrect your dead dreams. I want you to, by faith, hear these people in heaven looking down at your life. Again, they see the big picture. They see the mercy of God all over the place. They see the loving kindness, the favor of God available to us. They see God's wisdom if we'll just ask. They see the whole thing and they have time to shout just a few things your way. What are they trying to tell you? You're not running alone. You're not in this race by yourself. I'm going to give you one last scripture. And you know, the Bible talks about in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. Everybody say fullness. Fullness. fullness is really good because we like our cups to be full. We like our bank accounts full. We, we like our tummies to be full. But it's interesting, I told you about a month or so ago, God's not just a God of full. God's a God of overflowing. He's a God of more than enough. Not just enough, but more than enough. So if there's fullness of joy in heaven, that's great. But there's got to be some way, some way, something we can do that can cause there to be more than enough joy. They can cause there to be joy that's overflowing. I'm going to give you in this last scripture something that you can actually do that can cause your loved ones in heaven to have more joy than they have right now. It says in Luke 15, 7, I tell you, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 people who do not need to repent. You want to give your relatives so much joy that they are jumping up and down and screaming and hooping and hollering? Lead someone to Jesus. Your entire destiny is tied to you leading somebody to God. And no matter what gift, talent, personality, whatever you have, maybe you're healthy in the financial area, maybe you're healthy in the you know, laughter area, maybe you're healthy in the bringing peace, whatever God's put inside of you, it's intended to lead people to Jesus. Now you can go through this life self-centered, earthly minded, focus on what you want and your needs. And then when you get to heaven and you see the big picture, you're going to be pretty disappointed in yourself. I encourage you today, become heavenly minded. Try to close your eyes and see the big picture of life. See what it is, hear what it is they're trying to tell you from heaven today. And I believe if you'll do that, your life will be much, much more peaceful. You'll have much more joy, much more God's favor. And you'll fulfill the great plan God has for your life.